Well, hello and praise the Lord. This is Evangelist Frank King. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Question, what is it that makes God happiest? What is it that pleases him the most? Why is that important? Because if we want to have the heart of God, we need to know what the heart of God is. So in this episode, I want to talk about heaven's greatest joy. And I thank God that you are joining with me today as we talk on this all-important subject, heaven's greatest joy. I believe that for each of us, there is a thing or two that we enjoy more than anything else. And if we were in a group discussion to talk about that, we would find out how different we are in that regard. Because as for what we enjoy the most, we could have as many answers as we have people present. And some of that is because God has put different desires in our heart based upon his purpose for our lives. For instance, I have some trouble understanding how a person living in the conflict of America can be so passionate about becoming a foreign missionary in a third world country. Now, I am a minister of the gospel and I love the gospel ministry, but foreign missionary work is not my cup of tea. I love pastoring, but what I enjoy the most in the area of ministry is the work of evangelism. And that's based upon what God has placed in my heart. Well, so much for us. What we want to talk about today is heaven's greatest joy. What is it that gets heaven more excited than anything else? Of course, the goal is for us to get excited about the same things that get heaven excited. And that was not the case among the religious leaders of Jesus's day, which is one of the reasons he encountered their opposition during his public ministry. In this episode, I will be teaching from Luke chapter 15, and I will be using the King James Version. Here's what verse 1 says in that chapter. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Notice that the writer refers to publicans and sinners as if publicans were not sinners. Actually, I think it's the other way around. In other words, the publicans were regarded as a special class of sinners. They were tax collectors for the Roman government, even though oftentimes they themselves were Jews. Anyway, these guys were listening to Jesus as he ministered the word. I'm sure you will agree with me that it is a good thing for sinners to listen to Jesus. But the religious leaders had something negative to say about that. Verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, 
saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The sad thing about this is that the religious leaders thought that there was something wrong with what Jesus was doing. And I believe there is a degree of that kind of ignorance in the church today. Some Christians have a very wrong idea of what sanctification means. Yes, God wants us to live our lives for him, but that does not mean we are to avoid interaction with the lost. Suppose those who were saved had that view toward us when we were lost. And how can we reach the lost if we have that flawed view toward them today? So what was Jesus's response to the religious leaders complaint? He asked them a question in verse four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Jesus asked that question because that's what shepherds are supposed to do. When a shepherd rounds up the sheep to take them back in the fold, if he is a good shepherd, he takes inventory to make sure that none are lost. If one is, that's tragic. He leaves the others to find the lost. The shepherd cannot assume that the lost sheep will find its way back to the fold because sheep are dumb animals. It cannot and will not find its way home on its own. Jesus goes on to talk about the shepherd's joy in finding that one lost sheep. Notice, all the focus is on the one that was lost and is now found. And then Jesus gives the religious leaders his bottom line. That is found in verse 7. He says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now God loves his children. He likes for us to worship him through singing and praise. He likes the fact that the word of God is being preached to his people. It pleases him when we gather together in his name. But there's one thing that tops all of that in the eyes of God. That's when a sinner repents and accepts Christ as his or her savior. That's the heart of God. That's heaven's greatest joy. That's what Calvary was all about. God gave his only son to die a barbaric death so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I don't believe the Christian church is even remotely as focused upon the lost as it should be. Now, someone might argue that it does not take all of that. Well, for our salvation, it does not. But it does take all of that if we want to obey Christ 
And if we want to have the heart of God, and if we want the power of God operating in our lives more completely, isn't it true that whatever it is that gives you the greatest joy, that's what you are going to be most passionate about? For instance, when I was a teen, the thing that gave me the greatest joy was playing basketball on the park or wherever. So that's what I was most passionate about. Similarly, heaven's greatest joy is the salvation of the lost. So that's where God directs most of his power and his investment. That's why he gave his son to die a horrific death on the cross. There's something powerful that we can tap into based on what I just said. If the salvation of the lost is heaven's greatest joy, then that's where you and I need to get involved if we want to experience the power of God working through us more completely. I don't believe there's anything that you and I as Christians can do that God is more interested in than in reaching the lost. We like to talk about God blessing us. But listen, God is far more interested in the salvation of the lost than he is in the material prosperity of the saved. And when he does bless us to prosper, it is to the intent that we would invest in kingdom work. When a church gets involved in what God's doing, it will tap into God's power and investments directed to that end. So you tell me, which kind of church do you think God will invest most of his power and resources in? One that's like a social club or one that's focused upon winning the laws? Okay. So the complaint against Jesus by the religious leaders was that he receives sinners and eats with them. Well, hello, that's how you reach the lost. We can't just assemble in the house of God and lob a message over the wall, so to speak, and expect the lost to receive it. When we invest time in the lost, and when we show ourselves friendly, we increase our chances that they will receive our message of being reconciled to God. One of our problems is that we have too many Pharisees and Sadducees-like people in the church today. No matter how self-righteous we may be, the fact remains joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. My friend, I say that by the word of the Lord. And if you are not there already, I want to hereby encourage you to make the reaching out to the lost a priority in your life. Amen. Praise God. And I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope that you were blessed during our time together. 
And until next time, this is Evangelist Frank King saying, May heaven's best be yours.